microphones are... They actually do catch more noise than... Oh, really? They're very sensitive? A little bit, yeah. I mean, and... You know, you hear a lot of planes, and in this neighborhood, you get a lot of sirens and a lot of <laughs> things like that. So that's um, an authentic soundscape in the background. I know. I mean, I'm talking. You know, it's like a New York actor with a New York <laughs> backdrop. Um, and uh, actually, now I'm recording. Uh, so, welcome back, everybody, to the Wages of Cinema. Uh, it's been a little while since uh, we've had a segment that uh, I started a few weeks back called Local Vocal. Uh, just interviewing uh, local uh, actors, filmmakers, artists, those type of people. And uh, finally I have my next guest and uh, I was really excited to talk to this guy for a while. And I'm really excited for those cars outside. (laughs) Um, And uh, this is a guy I've known for a few years and uh, he acts in a lot of stage and a lot of, uh, hopefully soon a lot of film and uh, I, I'm very happy to welcome Matt Steiner. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Matt Steiner. We we sound like DJs. Now. <laughs> you said that you're like. Thank, Thank you for having me. me. Yes, I take requests on uh, the dial. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I just you know I recently just saw you right uh, right in Losers. Uh, that's been screening now all over the country. It's blowing up, man. It's blowing up. It's, it's really so exciting. Because last weekend I went to a screening in Philadelphia. And uh, while that was happening, there was another screening going on in Detroit. Um, and, of course, I mean, I was at the one that was closer. Right. And then there's, I think there's going to be one here in May, right? Zach and it's, I will be there. That would be awesome. I might try to make that. I finally get to be at one. I've seen through, via Facebook all of you guys having fun at all of the various uh, mm-hmm. film festivals, and I haven't been able to attend, but I'm really excited to, yeah, to and, be there. Uh, and actually, I guess if we can, I guess that can be a little promotion. Uh, the next screening for the Losers pilot, which is something that I uh, helped produce, and Matt is one of the actors. And, in. and starred in. You did star in it I, as, I as do, well. I do have kind of a cameo, it's <laughs> true. I'm not going to say what it is. It'd be a big spoiler, but uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun to shoot that. I, I actually I also cameoed in another scene, but that was just that was in like the two minutes that I wasn't you know holding a boom <laughs> and sweating like a yeah. pig. You know, you were multitasking. I was a super multitasker, but uh, but yeah, I hope yeah I hope you get to see that soon. Um, but uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I don't know. I was just uh, I guess the first thing on my mind is: so Are you from New York City? No, I'm from Sacramento, California. Sacramento. Originally, yeah, California. yeah, California, born, born and raised, and uh, I uh, yeah, grew up in Northern California, and then I went to school at CalArts in uh, Southern California. Oh, um, um, in so, Valencia, right above Los Angeles. Let's let's talk about that for a second. So Sacramento, I know that's the capital, right? Right. Now right. is that. Right, is that that's north of San Francisco? Yeah, uh, Sacramento is kind of like smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, two hours, uh, east of San Francisco and about, if my memory serves me correctly, about six hours north of Los Angeles. Okay. All right. So you went, so you probably went to San Francisco a little bit. Yeah. I, I, w- I went to San Francisco a lot as a child, um, because my father was a part of the hair club for men. <laughs> and so this is not a when joke. You, when you say the hair club for men, so was he... Was that, is that the, the commercial says, not only am I the president, I'm also a client? That's exactly what it is. So uh, my my father, who had a, a really full head of hair for uh, much of his life, 
um, ended up uh, going bald later on. Oh. And uh, so we would go once a month. Um, hopefully he won't be listening to this. <laughs> uh, we would go once a month, and he would have Asian women's hair weaved into his existing hair. What? Um, we still have this weave, which we break out at Christmas, and everybody <laughs> everybody puts it on uh, and dances around. Uh, but weave. what yeah. that meant for me as a kid is that I got to go to like FAO Schwartz and Fisherman's Wharf like once a month. So I really loved that he was a part of this club that I really didn't know what was, was going on behind Did, closed doors. Was that kind of weird? Like that, uh, I guess you knew from an early age, my dad doesn't have real hair. Well, well, actually I didn't at the time. I wasn't really aware of, I mean, cause this is when I was like really uh, little, I wasn't really right. aware of what was going on. I just knew my dad belonged to some club that mm-hmm. we had to go to San Francisco <laughs> Two for once a month, and uh, and it wasn't until later, yeah, when we um, started taking it out, and it has this little box that it lives in at the top of his uh, a shelf in his closet. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, San Francisco. I have a lot of fond memories of San Francisco. That's cool. That's and then cool. I also did I did um, summer stock theater in Santa Rosa, which is oh, a okay. small town uh, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, for the mm-hmm. the four summers uh, mm-hmm. that I was in college. So I would uh, go yeah. and do theater out there. Oh, is there? Maybe I detect a little bit of, you know, some people have kind of like that California accent. I've never know. been able to tell what a, what a, a California accent the, is. The only, but like, when I hear California accent, I just think of, like, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino's voice. Oh, when you okay. you hear him talk, like, I can't think of that as being like <laughs> California, you know. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment if you detect any uh, Quentin Tarantino in my voice. Uh, well, not maybe a little. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, so so you grew up uh, both parents. Um, my parents divorced when I was three, okay. but I always I have a great relationship with both of them. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was raised with uh, my mom. So my mom was like a, okay. a single mom for about uh, ten years, cool. and but I'd see my father on weekends, and uh, I grew up as kind of a, a class clown hmm. and a go figure. Yeah, and so my mom would always have to tell me to calm down when we got home. And we got to this point where she would uh, kind of set this timer. Mm-hmm. And I would have like a couple of minutes when I got home to like perform my routines and, and do everything. <laughs> and when the timer went off, I kind of had to chill out. Huh. So you actually, like, in a way, so she instilled like a discipline in you. Yeah. Before you even really knew what acting was, you were already like having that she, she actually sense. gave me gave me the uh a, a genuine talent of being able to turn it on and turn it off mm. um and that's kind of a, a situation that arose in in my classes as well in elementary school because i got really good grades as a kid but on my mm. report cards the teacher would always say like matt's like a really wonderful student if you could just get him to stop <laughs> talking and making people laugh so they at the end of class would give me like a minute or two to like, I don't know, do routines. I can't remember what I did. I feel like I've heard that story told by like a couple of different celebrities too. Like a couple <laughs> of people, like comics who you know were the class clown. I think they had that same sort of thing where they were given a couple of minutes to to do that. I mean, the the karmic joke is I I'm a teaching artist now for my day job when I'm not acting. I oh. I go into different schools and I use theater to either, you know, we put up plays or in a lot of organizations I'll like use theater to help kids with English or science or something. And whenever I get kids like me 
Mm. It makes me really feel for my teachers <laughs> and for my parents because I can't stand the the kids that remind me of myself. But I do obviously have a bit of uh, empathy for them because I know what it was like. Oh, for sure. So when you say so, like as a class clown, what were you just like? Did you do a lot of imitations? Were you just like making I, funny faces? Yeah, I think it was. Stuff? I think it was a lot of a lot of uh, imitations and like yeah. wisecracks. Mm. I mean, I'd always. I'd always kind of, you know, wait for somebody in class to mm. say something or wait for the teacher to yeah. say something and then kind of pick up and riff mm. riff on that. Yeah, no, because I, 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 I relate to this a little bit because I, uh, I was like the type that would do loads and loads of imitations because that's what my dad did. He would, from like an early age, he would do imitations of like Sesame Street characters. And I guess because we laughed, he did continue doing them. And uh. was like an, it was kind of stupid, but we just... I think it was more because of him doing it than the actual right, right, talent right. behind it. And, uh, and I don't know. I guess sometimes there were times where I was like, do I do the imitation now or do I stay quiet? Uh, it's kind of... I'm actually horrible at imitations now. That's what's really funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like, it's actually like whatever the opposite of a talent is. is that's my relationship <laughs> with imitations. Uh, but as a child... Mm. I, I really wanted to grow up to be Jim Carrey. I didn't want to grow up to be dude, like Jim dude, Carrey. I thought like in, so, I, I actually could achieve growing up to become Jim Carrey when in, I was a kid. I remember in 1995, I thought he was just like the biggest star in the world. Well, he was. He, to he an was. Extent. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like I, you know, I, I think it was weird because I, 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 I know I liked Batman before Batman Forever. But my first memory of becoming a Batman fan is because of him as the yeah. Riddler. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, actually, it's kind of ironic because weren't you like supposed to be the Riddler in the Nightwing series? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not mm. sure what happened with that. Everybody mm. got busy. Yeah, seems um, like happened with that. But so, yeah, I, I, I almost got to become Jim Carrey. Mm. So, so as you, so you're a kid, you're doing the class clown thing. At, like and your parents are encouraging though your artistic side they're not like dampening down anything yeah no my that. my uh parents are not uh art artistic or from the enter entertainment industry but they mm. always really uh, supported me my uh my mother uh who's half japanese actually was going huh. to yeah i don't know if you ever knew that nope. um i i wouldn't be able to tell i mean it's, su uh, it's supposed to be uh, a model in Japan, actually. She went over when she was 18. Okay. Um, but her Japanese wasn't good enough, so the family like made like a mafia decision. They're like, the family has decided <laughs> that you are not allowed to stay in Japan and become a model, and so they sent her back to the U.S. Um, and luckily, luckily for me, that's when she met my my dad. But so that's kind of my my mom's deal, and she uh, bounced around um, like as a, a secretary and doing like clerical work for construction companies mm. and stuff. And my father was uh, a bodybuilder and a personal trainer. Oh, okay, and also a member of the Harris Club. For and men. also a member of the Hair Club for both. <laughs> yeah, so he was like uh, he was an amateur bodybuilder and and won a few uh, awards. I think the last one was in my senior year of high school, which would have been what. 2000, I think, and he mm. was he was crowned Mr. Northern Territory. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Northern Territory, which is like a Northern California, Washington, mm. and uh, Oregon. Is he is he still into that, or is he kind of now older? I mean, he's he's a, he's a he's a little older. He still lifts now. I mean, he's it's not like you know when he was when he was training. It's not like when you see pictures like when Arnold Schwarzenegger tries. He, he's still 
bulks up, but then obviously yeah. he has steroids. And no, stuff no, that. I mean he still looks really great. Okay. Um, but but I don't know that he looks like he looked at his height. I remember right. he he had some pictures taken. Uh, right after he won, and it looked like a like a I remember it looking like a Calvin Klein ad because he was like wearing these jeans and he's shirtless, and I was like, what does my dad look like he's in a Calvin Klein ad? Um, but yeah, so they they were from very different worlds uh, than I find myself in now, but they were always really really encouraging That's uh, good. to me. That's good. And then in, in, it was about uh, sixth grade that I got into theater. So I think uh, so it finally from a pretty young age. Yeah, dawned on somebody like stick this kid in theater so he'll mm. shut up in class. <laughs> um, and then I would say yeah, ever since I, even before theater, I was one of those kids who I wanted to be an actor when I grew up, and mm. and I don't know how I thought I was going to do that without being in any kind of theater class. Yeah, I guess the thought when you're a kid is sometimes you just think. I don't know how you know how is acting a profession. Yeah, I think I think these people I thought, just these people just appear on my screen right. and they're there. Or I thought maybe I was going to be like at recess and get discovered by a talent agent <laughs> in, in Sacramento, California. Look at that kid. Well, he plays kickball. Awesome. <laughs> Let's get him. Yeah, exactly. But in sixth grade, I I uh, was a part of this uh, uh, theater. Um, program uh with a good buddy of mine lucas hazlitt who's actually a, a really big improv guy in new york now at the at the pit mm. and he uh writes for strangers with candy was a series and different mm. things um so we were both in this theater group and did a couple of plays with them and, and then it kind of just uh went from there yeah so it was more like you were into the comedy probably more than drama or you go between I, them i was at first yeah i, I really wasn't until high school i think that i really started getting into I guess like the art uh, of of acting, mm. uh, acting yeah. uh, acting. When I originally got into it, was just like, what is this amazing thing where I get to be on stage and everybody's forced to look at me, <laughs> and I just get to do bizarre, funny shit, and and yeah. and it's acceptable. Exactly. Um, but then slowly, I I ended up going to a high school called Sheldon High School in mm. uh, uh, Elk Grove, which is this little uh, suburb of um, Sacramento, and it just so happened that. My first year, uh, my freshman year was the school's first year. It was a brand new high school, and all of their funding went into the arts. Wow, that's that's so rare. It's incredibly <laughs> rare, and especially because uh, serendipitous Elk, Elk Grove, uh, California, was really known for sports. They, I don't know if you uh, ever saw that movie Varsity Blues. Oh yeah, but that was basically the town I went to high school in. So oh. like. So all about football. Yeah, it was all, all about, about football, and it was a really kind of an old-fashioned town. So the fact that all this money went into the, the arts of this new high school was really kind of crazy. Some people must have been like, what are they thinking? Yeah, and so so through it, and so I had these amazing uh, theater teachers. I think over the course of my four years, I had like four or five different theater teachers. We had hmm. the state-of-the-art theater. We ended up going to uh, Edinburgh, Scotland to represent our high nice. school at the Fringe. And huh. it was, I was introduced to Shakespeare in, in high school and really started to fall in love with like the art of, of acting. Yeah, that's great. So that that led to, did you immediately know, all right, I'm going to go to Cal Arts or I'm no. going to follow acting that way? No, that actually. Later? No. Uh, well, I knew... I often had like confidence before I had knowledge, so, <laughs> so sometimes it's gonna be a very dangerous combination. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to pursue acting, but I wasn't sure where or how. And the way I ended up at Cal Arts is I, uh, I remember really like having no idea how people uh, figured out 
what college to go to. I, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's always a tough. Thing. It was it was I, really tough, and and I ended up um, uh, auditioning and uh, not getting into Juilliard, and then I auditioned for Marymount here just because that was yeah. another like school that I Googled, or I actually at the time would have been what Yahooing. Um, uh, and then, uh, a really, uh, my best friend at the time, um, was applying to the animation school at CalArts, which is Mm. amazing. It's basically like a funnel into Pixar and DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember saying, Hey, does, do they have an acting program? And he said, well, I don't know. So I looked on the website and they had this amazing acting program. So I thought, Oh, how, how cool. I would love to go to college with my best friend. So I, uh, I auditioned and I got in, and uh, sadly uh, he ended up not being able to to pay for it, so he didn't go. But oh. he was the reason that I knew about the school. To you be always in need it. that friend that can kind of steer you a certain way. Yeah, like yeah. So I ended up going to Cal Arts, and that just kind of exploded that, my brain. So, so Cal Arts is that L.A. Is that around? Cal Arts there? is in Valencia. Valencia, it's like right next door to Six Flags. So it's about a. <laughs> you go on the roller coasters much? What once actually? There, there was there was one time we skipped a class and went to Six Flags um, in our four years there, but uh, but yeah, CalArts was a really, really amazing experience. It was uh, it's an, a really big experimental theater mm. school, which so, I did not have a lot of experience with before mm. I went there. Yeah, so experimental theater, like what when you say experimental in the sense, is it like the writing that is trying to break ground is it the acting it, that's it was, being really unusual it was everything i i think i mean one of the nice things about color is we got a really uh classical training like we were mm-hmm. trained in voice and speech and uh did scene work and uh shakespeare and moliere and mm-hmm. things like that and we had a really brief on camera class okay. but uh the experimenting always um came in uh with us always being forced to ask the question like why this production right now and Mm. why would we do it the same way somebody else has done it before when you have the opportunity to to do it uh differently Mm -hmm. so so i ended up being in some really uh amazing uh groundbreaking productions Mm -hmm. like this Uh, actually the visit is on broadway right now with cheetah rivera um uh, but we did but we did uh the the that's the musical with Cheetah Rivera um, that uh, Terrence McNally adapted, but it comes from Friedrich Dernmott's The Visit, which we okay. did uh, at, while I was at Cal Arts, and it was this ninety person production mm. where the audience um, this will sound a bit familiar uh, as we talk about the reps where the audience moved around throughout mm. the thing, and we, we created these little intimate environments throughout this huge theater space that must have been a little mind-blowing was it was it intimidating it was very intimidating so that was like an amazing production and i did this really really neat production of uh shakespeare's 12th night which Mm. was basically like 12th night in drag (laughs) um but then i mean but it really at cal arts it really ranged from the amazing to the ridiculous so i was in a lot of ridiculous productions as well because it was people always trying to uh, break the mold. People always trying to do something no one has ever done before, and uh, you fail mm. when you experiment that much. And that's okay. That's part of mm-hmm. what experimenting is. Were there any like people in that group that went on to other things too that you know of? Sure, sure, uh, sure. Uh, maybe people that many, went out to New York. Many people. Or uh, I was. I was. 
one of the only ones, I think out of our class of 30 something, I was like one of two or three that went out to New York. There's a lot more of us out in New York now, but at the time people stayed in LA. Uh, Allison Brie was in my class. Mad really? Man Community. Yeah, Allison. I love her. Allison. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> uh, Allison is awesome. I haven't, I haven't spoken to her a really long time. I'm trying to think. Holy what shit. were we? We did a we did a scene from Tartuffe together. Um, and we were in this really wacky show called Peach Blossom Fan, which was mm. kind of like consumed uh, a couple of our years at CalArts. It was this uh, Beijing Opera Western Theater fusion oh. um, where she played one of the courtesans and I was this boy emperor. Um, and I, and, I, and I, it was a musical and I only spoke and sung in my falsetto for the entire that, that must have been a little surreal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Allison Brie and also two classes under me, Cecily Strong from SNL, oh. who just did the correspondence yeah. dinner. Yeah, I just saw that. That was hilarious. Um, who else? A lot of the, the women from our class like really, uh, really blew yeah, up. Allison Brie is great. She's uh, love her on community. Those are the only ones I can think of mm. right this minute. Brisha Webb is another mm. uh, really awesome actor who was a couple of classes below mm. me, and uh, Eliza Coop was above me and she was in I think Happy Endings, Damon Wayne's son and Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard that. That's yeah, cool. so a lot of a lot of cool people. Mm. But then way back in the day, uh like Ed Harris mm. and Don Cheadle. Okay, so there was a legacy yeah. there for sure. Also David Hasselhoff is a Cal Arshian. If you haven't seen the new music video, which is brilliant which, his his new music video, David Hasselhoff. Well all of them are brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Tim Burton was from the film oh, school. Yeah, yeah. Julie Taymor was from the mm-hmm. art school. So it's a really was there any like so obviously there was the film school part of it and the animation and then but then you had this like actor part of it where they're like with kind of cross section. Oddly, o- oddly, at least in my experience, no. It hmm. was it was like the theater school was quite separate. They sort of stayed on on their own. Which is interesting because CalArts was started. It was supposed to be like this artistic utopia where there was a lot of cross-pollination and then it was i don't think it was the first but it was one of the first art schools to have uh many of the different uh artistic forms Hmm. in one so i think maybe at one time um everybody was naked and doing blow together (laughs) but that wasn't when i when i was there when i was there the theater school was really uh kind of trying to make a name for itself nationally which which they have now but Hmm. it it kind of we were kind of isolated and doing our own our own thing mm. so all right so so you graduate from cal arts at that point do you know like okay maybe i should should i stay in on the west coast should i sure. go oh to new york gosh, i mean what, what, no, what's the choice there? well it's you know it's 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 the d- the dilemma of every like theater school mm. uh fourth year or third year if you're an mfa i got my bachelor's from from cal arts and you mm. have these these showcases and you know, you're like, oh, do, do they want me on the West Coast? Do they want me on the East Coast? And and I ended up, I, I started Cal Arts, really wanting to be a movie star. I mean, that's mm. just like what was what was interesting the sort to me. Of the cliche. Yeah, and I ended Cal Arts, really being in love with the theater. Mm. So I was I was kind of leaning uh, towards a life in the theater anyway. But it just so happens that I ended up getting more of a response here here in New York from people, uh, none of whom actually returned my calls when I got to New York, but I felt like it was... Yeah, like, well, you could have called me. Right, but uh, I guess that was fate saying that I should be here, so I moved to New York, um, and 
in August, I will celebrate my 10-year anniversary. 10 years. In New York, which I think I've waited. Thank you. I've waited to call myself a New Yorker, but I think 10 years, I've always thought, is kind of the point Mm. when you can start whipping that out. I think that's Um, a pretty good time frame. I would say maybe even eight years. (laughs) But I wanted to wait. I wanted to wait. Uh, But yeah, yeah, so 10 years in New York. Ten years, okay. Now the one thing. Now here's here's a, here's a, here's definitely. I didn't write out a lot of questions. I'm not that type of guy, but I did write out a couple of things. Sure, sure. And one of the things, certainly on my mind, which sort of stuck with me for a while, and I know you probably talked about it to me before, or also with Zach and Carlos and that group, when you first came to audition for Losers, uh, you brought up Clown School. I did, yeah, yeah. So how how does that work? How how did you get into Clown School? So. Uh, so just a, a, a brief. Yeah. Or, or is he there pauses. Kind of a path to that? He pauses. Well, there's always some sort of path. Yeah. Well, is that before? It's usually very is debaucherous it before Cal Arts or after? Uh, it's after Cal Arts. So I, I had been in New York. I came to New York and I spent the first, the bulk of my first two years touring the country oh, okay. with this classical theater company called the Acting Company, which mm. is a. Uh, uh, out of the first class of Juilliard, so like Kevin Klein and Patti Lapone were in the first yeah. uh, uh, versions of this company. It was a really cool intro to New York. Um, and so, yeah, I, I toured the country. I think I've been to about maybe 40 of the 50 states. Mm. And then I started doing some regional theater work and some like off-off Broadway shows in, in New York. And then and then kind of, you know, like a lot of actors do, just really was, was pounding the pavement and struggling and figure out, mm. you know, how do I... How do I set myself apart? What what really excites me about what's going on? And it's always the toughest thing, right? Trying to figure out what yeah. actually, not just what can I get as far as work, but what actually am I interested yeah, in? Yeah, what's my? Is there a script that actually I know I can yeah, exactly. do well? Exactly, because you get so used, or or you know, at least in my case, I got so used to just wanting to work so bad. Yeah. The question of what I wanted to work on didn't seem valid for so long until I, you know, woke up one day and kind of was like, wow, what am I doing? I'm not really, not really happy and I'm struggling. Mm. Um, and really kind of felt like the most boring version of myself because I was spending mm. so much time, time trying to fit into other people's, uh, boxes. So to be quite honest, I kind of entered this like rather darker period mm. and which, which the climax of which was I was living in bed at the time oh. and, uh, Ended up getting mugged, and um, a month after, I ran away from being jumped, and I was just like, "Wow, what, what is going on? The universe is trying to tell me something, and I just happened to interpret it as the universe is telling me to drop everything and go to clown school <laughs> in Europe." Some people may have taken it otherwise, but well, oh, I mean, actually, so in other words, you felt like at that moment. I need to do something drastic or well, else yes, I'm going to stay in this rut exactly. for a while. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really what, in all seriousness, I was like, I was like, yes, I need to do something really big to, to change things up. Yeah. Um, and really for myself, I need to, mm. I, I would like to be more interested in who I am and, and really, really kind of explore mm. what interests me about myself mm. in the world. And uh, I hadn't really, uh, I had traveled a lot nationally, but I hadn't really traveled a lot internationally at that yeah. point. And the reason that clown came up is because, like, two years prior to this this moment, this mm-hmm. this uh, moment of despair, the, the sort of seed in your head, uh, I had taken a, a a clown class two years earlier, okay. and it terrified me. I had always thought of myself as a really really funny person. 
but I took this this clown class, which it all comes out of um, uh, Lecoq work, which is uh, uh, there's the the Jacques Lecoq school in in uh, is it in France or London? Forgive me, I can't think of it mm. right now. But but in in a, a France or England, and it's a f- physical theater. I mean, the clown. Uh, that I ended up setting has a lot more to do with like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton than it does with mm. Bozo the Clown. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's like a f- physical comedy and kind of just finding your pantomime. Your, yeah, and 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 kind of like the philosophy behind it is your clown is like your vulnerable mm. self, yourself when you do not know what to do next. Mm. So you wanted to get back to that vulnerable place. Yeah. Right? So I ended up. I ended up. Um, going to Switzerland for about a month mm-hmm. and studying with this very old clown named Pierre Bilan. Hmm. Um, and it was amazing and life-changing. And coincidentally, actually, after this interview, I'm going to go have dinner with a guy <laughs> that, not with a clown, but or with a guy that I uh, met in this uh, workshop in Switzerland who now lives in, who mm. just moved to New York. Um, yeah. It's it's just fascinating to me because in part again we have this sort of stereotypical image of what a clown is yeah. that or as a, I think Patton Oswalt once joked that a clown is basically a transvestite that doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, but really clowns they go back much further. They go back maybe centuries. Oh yeah, you know, like the type yeah. of thing like uh, there was this movie in the forties I think called if I'm getting this wrong it's called like Children in Paradise. Have you heard of this movie? I, I think it, it's sort of about clowns. Um, I could be wrong, but it's something about... Like, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. It was a French film by this director, Marcel Karn, and it was sort of set in like a circus-like hmm. clown atmosphere. And it was a love story, but I think it involved a clown. Well, so yeah, I'm, of course, you know, when you say, oh, yeah, I went to clown school, people think of like a circus clown. And it does... I mean, that is uh, a part of the clown mm-hmm. world, but it is like uh, one sliver of of this world. Do, do mimes come out of that school sure. as well? Sure. I mean, okay. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's with, yeah, within the same kind of family, but like uh, some famous like American clowns are like Bill Irwin or mm. uh, David Shiner, uh, which are really, really hilarious physical comedians. But also the type of clowning, the clowning that came out of uh, Jack LeCocq is um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen studied that oh. kind of clowning. So like uh, Borat is a Borat and Allergy are great examples of, so of way, clown characters. It's there. It, it, it sharpens your instincts. Yeah, so it sharp, much, right? sharpens your instincts, and really, you know, yeah, you find one of the most helpful things technique-wise that I found from clown training is is. As a clown, you're always asking, like, what's the game? What is what is the game that I'm playing? You're always fucking mm. with people. What is the game between me and the audience? Yeah. What is the game between me and the other character on stage? Yeah. And so even when I'm doing, like, dramatic work uh, on film or with the representatives mm. now, I'm, st- I'm absolutely still using clown techniques, uh, which are, yeah, I'm trying to find the game. I'm trying to find uh, what is fun for me and... Um, sometimes it's hard to describe what the game is, but it's really, it's getting, it's finding the tension, the maximum level of tension. It's right. finding out what the other character wants, okay. what the audience wants, and not giving it to them. But almost huh. giving it to them so much that they think they're going to get it, and then pulling back. 
they take yeah you, you get up to the line exactly and you're yeah I, I that's an interesting so clones method. are troublemakers it really I mean I, I I grew up like a really like nice polite kid and, <laughs> and uh, clown school kind of taught me how to say like fuck it both so this freed you up in life totally. and on stage so yeah it freed me up and then I came came uh, back uh, to New York and uh, one of the first things I did after I came back was I formed the representatives. So, so all right, so now was that, when that started, now now let me, does that go into how you met Stan, or? Well, I've known Stan. I know maybe Stan, that's a whole other story altogether. Of course it's a whole other story, but let me fast forward through it. I met Stan, I've known Stan for about nine years. Okay, so you met him around the time when you moved to New York. Yeah, I, so that. I met Stan in between my two seasons with the acting company, in between okay. my two uh, tours. Mm. Uh, I auditioned for a play of his called And Or, um, and I wasn't right for the part that I was reading for, so they gave me sides to read something else. And I remember being out in the lobby reading these sides and thinking, man, this guy writes like I talk. Hmm. He just okay. he writes in the rhythm that I talk, and he writes the words that I wish I was always saying. Hmm. And so I ended up going back and really knocking it out of the park, and I did that, that show with him. Um, and then... Very soon after that, he started writing parts for me um, in in his plays, and we did this really uh, really big play of his called uh, Veritas, which won all these awards huh. at the Fringe, which we're actually uh, bringing back this uh, fall and producing it as the representatives. Um, mm. And we started to experiment with doing stuff in apartments because uh, Stan's you know, kind of philosophy was that he was really like fed up waiting around and, and workshopping things to death because mm. in the theater there's this kind of epidemic of like workshopping things for years mm. until they're just right and then you get to do an off, 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 off Broadway production and then that might lead to a reading at an and so... So it's a very cumbersome process. Right. And instead of... You know, the whole thing of, all right, we can, maybe we can get this black box theater if we put in X amount of exactly. dollars. Let's try to make it as intimate as possible. Exactly. And so and so Stan had been kind of really, really into that for years. And we even we did a couple of apartment productions under the name uh, Key Party. Um, <laughs> I'm just sorry. That just... Uh, well, it's supposed it, to make you do that. Uh, well, no, no. But it's funny because it makes me think of something from Japan. Oh, interesting. Like well, I know, like, well, we, well, I think of like K-pop or something like that, the, or maybe South Korea. The reason say. is we were yeah. we were uh, doing these productions in in apartments. We only did like a couple, mm -hmm. but the idea was that we were doing something intimate with strangers, mm. and at one point we were going to like switch the parts that we had, so mm. it'd be like switching partners. But we put the kibosh on that because people kept on. That was around the time that the tea party. Was becoming really popular, and we didn't want to be associated yeah, with him. No, and that's I also, like a 180 from you guys. And I also really remember, you know, telling Stan, you know, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm into this. I'm not sure that these apartment plays are a really good idea. I'm not sure that it's ever really going to work. Uh, but then I ended up going to, uh, you know, clown school, and I came back, and I just really had this, this, you were just like this, fuck it. this air of fuck it. And so, you know, Stan let's and just I do it. Talking, and we said, man, let's let's like really actually make this formal, and let's do this for real. Mm. Um, and then I came back. Uh, in the fall of 2011, and then okay. our first production uh, as the representatives right? was in February of 2012, yeah. and then the summer of 2012 was when, was when we were filming Losers. Yeah. Mm. I was actually during Losers. I don't know if you remember. That you were doing a play. I was doing a play yeah, in this I really hot. Incredible apartment. things, awful. Absolutely, things. yeah. Yeah. So now, 
Now, do, is, do you think that there's... Do you know of anyone else that does this? Or do you think that you're, like, kind of, like, a singular entity like this? I would love to think I'm a singular entity, <laughs> but it's it's New York, and so... So there are probably other apartment places going is, on as there we is speak. All, there is always someone doing anything that you could you could think of. Mm. And I do know, yeah, I have some uh, friends and colleagues who do... Who do um, uh, a part, uh, plays in apartments or plays in different different venues? I guess it must be. It's the kind of thing though where you know now I've been to so many of these yeah. apartment plays that again a, a good chunk of it you do sometimes have to rely on imagination. Other times you do employ the ways of using audio creatively, yeah. using lighting creatively. Um, but at the same time though. You know, are there ever? But sometimes there might be restrictions too in what you can do there. So you have to kind of, I guess, balance that out. And that's okay. It's okay to be popular, <laughs> god darn it, and to be understood. It's okay to be intelligible. Okay, and having money is not necessarily hurting other people. Sometimes a win for one is a win for all. Okay, I work with artists. Okay, sorry. Let's let's drink a toast to whatever I just blathered. Mmm. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so the the, the reps has taught uh, us as as artists and business people and myself as a performer it has has taught me so so much. Mm-hmm. Um one is fuck it. I mean fuck it, just yeah. do it. Just do your work. And if yeah. you just do See. your work, mm-hmm. you will find your audience. Yeah. And uh, we are growing. We're growing very slowly, but we're growing in an incredibly fulfilling way because It's word of mouth. It, yeah, it's, it's it's word of mouth up to this point, and this will probably change soon as we grow. But up to this point, yeah, we yeah. don't advertise at all. We invite people uh, personally, and even if we do start to advertise, it'll always have that personal touch mm. because that's kind of what yeah. who we discovered we are and what really excites us. And having mm-hmm. this kind of intimate connection mm. with the audience, and like so, the other actors too that you get into it. Do you just? I mean, I guess you. You audition kind of the traditional way, or do you find? Because I noticed that by now you do have kind of a stock company, yeah, which yeah. is always very nice. You know, yeah. that's the thing that I I love too as a oh, filmmaker. That's, that's really cool to hear, yeah, because I I really love that. I mean, I I was I did a repertory company, like I said, uh, when I was at Cal Arts in the summers. It was called Summer Repertory Theater, and so okay. I would spend I spent about four summers with a large bulk of the same actors doing three shows a summer. And so I really enjoy as an actor seeing other actors yeah. in multiple different roles. And so, yeah, the idea behind the representatives has always been to eventually have this this stable, this this company. Mm. But um, like when you get new people, do they kind of go like, huh, it's in an apartment? Or do they – you probably maybe weed out some of those people and then – the yeah, people you, who maybe some people just get it more than others in a way. Well, it's 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 a combo. I mean, we tend to work with people who have seen our work okay. first. That, so guess, yeah, whether it's an apartment play sure. or not, because you've seen and been in uh, a non-apartment <laughs> play, Tell, which Jack was was wonderful I, I, in. I happen to uh, have a one-liner uh. there, and uh, yeah, and that reminds me of something I'll ask you in a second. But so. But, but we, yeah, we so, try to get people who who know what we do first because, mm-hmm. you know, at this point you're not going to make a whole lot of money doing doing a show with us. Mm-hmm. But hopefully you'll have like an incredibly fulfilling uh, artistic 
experience performing, and hopefully you'll get yeah. a, you'll really dig this um, community that we're super proud of of, yeah. of having built and, and being yeah. around these really cool people mm-hmm. from really all walks of life. That that's one of the things that really uh, that I that I'm particularly proud of it, and possibly that sets us apart because mm-hmm. I, I do. I do know, man, people are doing theater everywhere. Uh, so oh, there yeah. are people doing theater in apartments. But the the cross-section of people that we get to see these things, I would say at every show, about half of our audience are convinced that they don't like theater. Mm. So they're either yeah, disaffected or, uh, uh, yeah. actor, actors, directors, playwrights, or people who literally don't go to other things. Mm. But there's something about the way in which we are doing things, whether it's the site-specific nature or the intimacy, that they really mm-hmm. dig. And that's such a wonderful compliment. Yeah. Well, the whole idea of the theater, it's it's funny because my, uh, my co-hosts on my regular Wages of Cinema podcasts... Um, He's brought up to me a couple of times, like, he doesn't like the theater. And I'm like, why? He's like, it's just so... They're there. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the idea. It's supposed to be intimate. And I just... I And it's funny, because I think now I've finally gotten him to watch a couple of movies about the theater. So I'm inching him a little bit closer, but... Well, but I can... I can but this is intimacy amplified. Yeah, okay. Because like that's 11. what I was just going to say. I, I understand. I mean, I... I myself, I often find when mm-hmm. when creating stuff with Stan, often what I don't like is a stronger guide than what I do like. Well, so, what do you mean by that? So the apartment plays um, are both a reaction to uh, the pace that theater is usually created at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that pace just means that I, as a performer, get to act less because I have hmm. to wait for something to be yeah. workshopped and funded and this and that, and then I might get to audition for it. Mm. But it's also the subject matter that uh, television, for example, is able to talk about current events at a much faster pace than theater is. Mm. But because we're able to create our theater at the pace we're able to create it mm. at, we're able to talk about yeah. subjects that theater's not used to talking about. Yeah. That's that's really fulfilling. That and too. also Stan is just he's Stan a is a machine. He's a a beast he, and a machine, he, and he I doesn't he, sleep. I think he wants to. I think he looks at like Woody Allen and goes like, "Please, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do that." Yeah, but I mean, better. I also happen to be yeah in the incredibly fortunate position of that having you have someone who's that prolific uh, and a prolific consistent. workaholic workaholic collaborator um, yeah. that is. Uh, continually creating really, really exciting uh, work. And always seems to be, you know, having fun with it. Like, there have been, even in the plays that are really dark, I mean, that, what was it called, of, uh, was it, was it, oh, Flooded with Light. Flooded with Flooded Light was light a particularly was dark one. Now, for yeah. those of you, uh, just to give you, uh, to, to give you sort of um, a backstory on this, Flooded with Light was a play where, uh, Matt Steiner plays a Christian fundamentalist. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, is kind of dealing with like where he's at with that, and yeah. you know, other people who are like, "What? Wait, what's up with that?" Yeah. And also the idea of belief. And it's a that's that was one of the heaviest plays ever. Like, and, you, it, and it kind of culminates in this person who, at the end, you find out is technically my son by this much older lover being buried in the sand okay <laughs> uh so it's a yeah it was a very dark 
Hmm. Very dark play. But I always tell people, people ask me what kind of plays that Stan writes, and I always say Stan writes funny tragedies. Mm, that's always, a good way of putting it. I always them. kind of find the plays to be tragedies. They are usually pretty tragic. I mean, they have that, you know, again, I, I guess, like I said, I immediately jumped to Woody Allen, but then a lot of times he does those kind of funny tragedy type of stories, yeah. you know, like crimes and misdemeanors or something like that. I mean... Uh, I always think, too, that Stan has a talent for writing characters that are not made for the world they exist in. Huh, they're that's either, a curious point. They're either too fragile or they want to do... Hmm. good that they are not able to do or that I definitely they don't get, fit in in some way. I definitely get that a lot in, uh, now that you mentioned that, when I think about the rakes, you know, the fact, yeah. you know, the first rakes and the second rakes. And the third rakes will be next next year. There's a third rakes. It's a complete the trilogy. Rakes. So does Stan, like, he actually will tell you, all right, I'm working on this now and I will have it ready by X date. Yeah, he, Stan, we both, as the representatives and him as, as a writer, he works mm. really well with deadlines. They're really mm, that's good. helpful. Um, also because, again, because we are the ones who have the power to, to put up the show yeah. um, ourselves. And, and, and that's through a combination of things. Uh, it's the donations. Yeah, it's through uh, the apartment plays are funded um, by donations that we collect at the end, and the larger plays are funded by um, larger individual donations. Like we've been, um, uh, the Bessemer Trust gives okay. us a, a, an annual donation, uh, mm. which which really helps us do the larger larger works like Betty Tear and mm. like uh, Of Orient R and uh, Tell and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um. So. The fact that our overhead is very low because of the way we do our work mm -hmm. um, and because we have a commitment to putting things up as soon as they're right. written, we kind of have these like internal deadlines that really help uh, mm -hmm. keep the momentum, which in turn fuels us to keep yeah. on producing. And then at the things. same time, you know, and this is like something that I've noticed when I've been writing something and I've been kind of... I have that sort of deadline for myself, but also because I'm in the world, I'm still noticing current events and yeah. things of that nature that ends up like seeping into me. Absolutely. You know, and people, people always ask me too, like how involved I am in the writing process or how much I know. And, and I mean, the honest answer is like zero. Mm. I mean, that is one of the gifts I kind of give myself is, is, uh, Once it gives you the script. Then yeah. You can not go to work. Allowing myself to not know what's going mm -hmm. on because even though I've known this guy, I've been working with this guy for about nine yeah. years, there is still a great mystery to me mm. to how he does what he does. Yeah, but and you have that trust in him. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that it, it's it's uh it's like Christmas every time I get <laughs> a play with a part because I know you know very similar. And there's a kid someone is bleeding out in the street. <laughs> Speaking of Christmas, um, uh, yeah, there there are some skateboarders around here. But um, much like Christmas, if it often feels when he has written a new part, like he's giving me a gift. It's a it's a surprise, but I know this person has thought long and hard about this specific well, gift they also, are giving me. Well, it's also like. You know, it, it's kind of I, I think back to because you know, my mind thinks this way, like with film, like. You know, if I see an Altman movie and I see, like, Shelley Duvall or Lily Tomlin in a role, I think, okay, there's a reason why they're there. It's because yeah. Altman loves that actor and they want he wants to put them in that role. Yeah. And, 
Now, and, but that but that brings me. But then that that makes me wonder. Then so with Tell, you directed yeah. part of that. I did. You dir- sort of directed Tell. the video portion. Uh, actually, he directed a little more of the video portion. I directed the stage. Oh, uh, okay. Because I, I got that mixed up. Because when yeah. I was there that day, well, I kind of yeah. In Central Park, I guess, I guess uh, to be honest, we co-directed the the, mm. the film portion. Towards the end, Stan t- started to, to take the reins of that because he has a p- particular knack uh, mm. for for film directing. And he's actually uh, between him and Josh, our video collaborator. Okay. Uh, uh, Stan was the main director of of Betty Tear, okay. um, but Josh was like our he was the guy with the camera. Video, but I he mean, was a beast. Josh he, he is a beast was, is in a completely different way, and we literally don't have a title because of how much he did. I mean, he mm. is currently editing. Okay. This is Betty Tear, our, our second yeah, film theater. For the, yeah, the last uh, apartment play, so to speak, which is actually in a. You've had a couple in a loft, so or yeah. Well, this is this was actually literally a church gymnasium or, or a church gymnasium. So there are a couple of plays. Which did venture out of the apartment, and you could almost say come closer to being that off, off, off Broadway. Well, what we'd like to think of, and we still haven't figured out a, a name to but differentiate it was very them. Experimental is we have the apartment plays, and mm-hmm. those all uh, we're doing our best to keep those pure, the way that they are. They they're uh, plays that are uh, set in and written to be performed in apartments. Admissions: a bottle of wine, and there's a party after every show. Um, uh, but as we grow, we're doing these outside of the apartment mm. uh, plays, or whether we call them, excuse me, site-specific works or like venue plays. We're doing these larger works, and kind of the grand experiment with those is: can we take the techniques of of intimacy and immediacy that we found in apartments, yeah. and kind of uh, expand them as we grow? And so, tell was a, uh, that kind of experiment. Yeah. And so, but what was it like for you though to suddenly be directing his material? Like, was it like was it probably was being challenging? Or yeah. Was it... So yeah, yeah. Rewinding back to tell, but I mean, I just I want to plug Josh real quick before I rewind. Yeah. Jo- so Josh oh, on, yeah. on Betty Tear was he's currently editing it. He was basically the production designer. He was yeah. obviously well, the cinematographer, but he was also like a bit of a of, of a dancer or a fellow actor on stage. I was, now I should say when I was there. Now for those of you, just to give you the sort of uh, background, Te- Betty Tear is a true crime story of a sort, yeah. um, where uh, Matt's character uh, goes. I think uh, yeah, he plays a newspaper man who goes to interview. Uh, Someone involved with a murder, or I think was that it? I'm trying to remember. So yeah, so so Betty Terrors, I think Stan called it a, a true crime fantasia. Fa- okay, what I- <laughs> and what what you what <laughs> you um right. what you and Corey came to see was a live taping mm-hmm. of the pilot episode okay. of what is going to be an eight episode series. But all of the episodes, eight episodes, yep, okay. will be filmed live. And another a cool fact is over the course of eight episodes. Uh, it'll be a cast of uh, myself and over thirty women. Hmm. So it's it's definitely unique because usually when it comes to live TV, I mean you have live sitcoms. Yep. But a live true crime yeah. show is really out there. I mean yeah. that's something even like maybe David Lynch would kind of be like, hmm, maybe I can do that. Well, but so, <laughs> so, so even, even that degree of separation is such a compliment because actually I think I might have mentioned to you uh, one of the ways this came about because I mean the projects are always just like a combination of all these ideas that end up culminating. But uh, one of the things that um, uh, brought uh, uh, Betty tear to the front of our minds is 
uh, Stan was a huge fan of Twin Peaks. See, that's that's what I was thinking of now when you get into dreams and true crime. Yeah. And, and he had always been getting me. Uh, he had literally given me multiple sets of the box set and tried to get I, me to I watch it. And I and I put it off and I put it off and I finally watched it and was amazed and enraged and every other emotion one feels as they're watching it. And I came to Stan, I said, Stan, I think you should write our Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, because so, was, so that's how, so you kind of brought it to his sort of mind. Well, well, maybe just like well I mean, uh, yes and no, because I said that to Stan and then Stan says, well, I actually have this idea that I had been thinking of that's uh, called Betty Tear. Um, I mean, I will often, but here, mm-hmm. here's the kind of neat thing about how things happen. Stan likes the idea, he always likes the idea of being commissioned. Uh, mm. We obviously like the idea of literally being commissioned, which we, yeah, ha- sure. which we have been before. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just this idea of uh, when we work with actors for the first time, a question he'll often ask is like, what's a part that you would never play? Mm. Or what's something how, which is how flooded with light came about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, what is something you've always wanted to do, or something like that? And so, so often I will make requests. Mm. But the interesting thing is, those requests rarely come out like I thought they would. Mm. So it's almost like my original idea is is a, a, a drop mm-hmm. in the overall potion. Of, of what's going on. And that's, that's kind of what happens between Stan and I is, is we kind of just, you know, put hopes and desires and dreams and nightmares into this, this witch's brew mm. that Stan ends up stirring mm. and I end up presenting to, to mm. people. So, so yeah, I, I had been trying to get him to do stuff on, on camera for a while and then said, I really, I really think, you know, I think we should do some sort of series, but that's really all I had. And then, Stan obviously came with the content, and it was him who also said, you know, the only way I want to do this series is if we film it live, because mm. I need that it was uh, momentum. It was one people. of the most, un- I, frankly to me, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about it after the show, it was one of the most unusual productions <laughs> I've ever seen. You know, the yeah. whole part where you are freaking out in the bed, yeah. and that scene is repeated like eight or nine times. Yeah. And that wasn't even necessarily for the camera. It was yeah. for the audience. Yeah. Like, so that, that just, it was like... So that's something that I we're see? always trying to do, too. You know, whether it's in the apartment place or whether it's something like Betty Tears, we're always, always trying to challenge the audience and see how much they can hold mm. in the moment. And, and sometimes we go too far and it's confusing or, or the audience uh, doesn't like to hold all that. But just like we were talking about with the clown... What is that maximum yeah. level of tension? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's the moment when something truly amazing can happen. When you find that point of the audience being able to take in multiple stories at once, or in the case of Betty Tear, being able to watch a live actor performing mm. and also watch the live feed and also having yeah. the sound pumped in through earphones and just all these things. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that that was the, it was just. All these different elements that were, you know, yeah, the screen, and then that guy, and then you had the guy carrying around the light on stage. Yeah. And yeah, we had this awesome uh, light op named uh, Michael, who, again, so so yeah, in addition to uh, being cinematographer and editor and production designer, Josh, yeah, was also filming things live on stage, but he also came up 
with the entire uh, lighting system and the sound system, mm. and he created these different lighting contraptions and really was just kind of like a did mad he, scientist. Did he come from theater or film more? Josh's background is, yeah, he, he was an actor uh, first, but then quickly got into uh, a film. He was, uh, I believe he was a personal assistant to Merce Cunningham, the dancer and choreographer, oh, for a while. Okay. Um, but but he has his own production company now, and he actually filmed. We met him through a woman who uh, commissioned us and who's acted with our company, Virginia Wilcox. And uh, he filmed this miniature documentary on us during Flooded with Light. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched that. And so, and we've just been kind of collaborating with him, him ever since. And the idea is that we will, uh, you know, do the rest of the eight, uh, the other seven episodes of Betty Tear with him. Hmm. And then we'll have these episodes, and then we will release them somehow. Okay, so yeah, so I guess maybe at some point soon, me or other people will be able to maybe see that pilot. Yeah. Or- yeah, exactly. And so and so the idea is is to create an experience where you who is someone who is there live can also watch this episode and you will know the content of the episode because you watched it, but the episode is going to be spliced together from the five different live performances. So ideally you yeah, will be say, seeing that's, things that's the tricky thing too that, that you that, never saw live. In a way, yeah, so in a way like by having all those performances and you might not be able to get all the coverage in one night, but you'll be able to get it across yeah. the span of all those episodes. So what you saw, so like, yeah, there was, there was, we had a couple of pre-film scenes, but uh, I would say 90% of the time there was something being pr- projected live, being mm. a, a live stream on the back, uh, back wall. Yeah. And that, what Josh was picking up in the live feed was different each mm. night because he was getting different coverage each night. Right. So, so you're doing all this, obviously you're doing all the theater with representatives. This is like this amazing like world that you've created. But at what point though, so when you come into Losers, are you also looking to get into like short films here and there or doing things well, like that? Well, yeah, when I, when I was doing Losers, I was still doing a lot of outside work and I was particularly, I think Losers was like one of three or four comedy pilots I was filming at, at that time. Ah, it so was, there are other ones. It was the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my hands together and doing like the... <laughs> no, but it really was actually, it really was, and the most successful. I mean, it's really crazy right now. Um... But yeah, at the time I was still doing a lot, but as the representatives is uh, growing, I'm just finding myself doing less and less, mm-hmm. both both out of a desire and necessity, just because mm-hmm. uh, you know we have Betty Terre going on right now. Betty mm-hmm. Terre being edited. Stan is currently writing for the summer uh, for the summer apartment play, which is something called a uh, play called Cut the Shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess all I can tell you about the character that I play is uh, I will be speaking another language at some point. Um, okay. And then we, Stan and I are co-directing his mm. uh, play Veritas in, okay. in, in the fall. So, so when it comes to that, though, and now are you actually part of the process earlier just by nature of... Yeah. Because I'm co-director, I now... It's not like the, bir- the, the the Christmas gift. I'm actually there with Correct. you, yeah. and I really know what you're doing, and I maybe have a say in it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but I even... We, we really share the say in, in, in all the process, projects. It's just... Uh, 
his writing process is something that we both benefit from him going off mm. and, and okay. doing his thing. Kind of like he rarely kind of interferes in uh, my acting process unless he is directing, which he does. Then obviously we're, we're collaborating on, yeah. on the part. But yeah, now we're at a point with the representatives, which is really exciting, where we have multiple plates spinning, but that does make it more difficult to do uh, out, outside work. So it really has to be like projects that both fit into the schedule that I really want to do because I will be juggling uh, mm. quite a lot. Yeah, but no, I mean, obviously, this this thing has definitely created a lot of things for you. And even, I mean, you even have relationships because of it. I, mean, I uh, do have a relationship. Uh, yes. Stan, I, Stan uh, wrote a girlfriend into reality for me. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, odd, oddly, we had I, a really tragic relationship in the play, well, The Race. I was going to say, so you met Keatron on... The rakes. Yeah, we met Katrin uh, on the, on the the rakes. She was uh, recommended uh, to us. Actually, that's not true. We were searching for a younger actress, and and so we put out the word through friends of friends, and she reached out to us hmm. and came in and, and kind of uh, uh, blew us away, and uh, we got to know each other through that uh, production, and ended up getting together afterwards, and have been together. Two plus, two plus years ever Great. since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have uh, was it. What, how was it then when you uh, went back to do the second part? And do you think the third part? So is it like you have to kind of reconnect with those characters? And it was very little... well. Yes, it was weird. Period. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like it's it's because now we have this. Just, now we have this. Something. Obviously, this like real life history. You know that we did mm. not have in the first yeah. one, but. I guess what what helped make it less weird or what what allowed it to be interesting was uh, because we're working with a living playwright and because Stan is really interested in incorporating reality, whether it is uh, real-life sociopolitical events or the real-life dynamic Mm -hmm. um, between people, I feel like the second rakes, we were playing characters that in one way or another – were outgrowths of who we were as people. So mm. in the the first rake, she played this character named Minta, who was this very uh, girlish... Um, uh, I don't know how to describe her. She, she, was, she was girlish, and she was really kind of a victim. She had been saved yeah, in the was, Virginia Tech shooting. Yeah, it was inspired by Virginia Tech. And, uh, um, and, you, and you sort of helped save her. Yeah, I then, was kind of like this... And then there was this awkward air because it's like, okay, you're, you're now with this girl yeah. and you want to get even closer, but your whole relationship is founded on this violent act. Right, yeah, this, this, this crisis. And, and so, yeah, she was, she was, yeah, really this, this, this kind of victim in, in, in the first play and struggling with that, that victimhood and trying to find identity out of that. Mm-hmm. But then in the second play, because we're jumping years ahead, she is this very strong mm. single mother of this sick child we have uh gotten a, a divorce and so we have a very different mm. dynamic than we did in the first play and it and i have mm. to admit it is more fun to play yeah. enemies with someone that i'm cur- <laughs> currently in love with yeah because ultimately a lot of acting it just comes down to having fun yeah. too you know, aside from getting really intense and really inside the character, so we get fun, we get really to, to take it out on each other uh, every night during the rakes. Uh, <laughs> progress was the second one, and and I'm not sure, uh, I I'm not sure what the the third rakes will be, and I'm not sure if Minta will will be in it because there was there were uh, like Margaret who was in the first one yes. uh, was not 
really in the the second mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm not necessarily sure what lies ahead. All I know is, um, the third brother will be the narrator of the third one. Mm. Mm. So uh, and I guess one of the things too with being a clown as well is like if you uh, I remember in not the not Betty Terror but the play before it was Dead Black Temp. Dead Black Temp. Yeah. yeah. That the way that started was one of the most entertaining things for me because I didn't know that the play had started. Because it was like you were handing out champagne to everybody and I just felt like I was at a party. Good, and then all good, of a good. sudden, little by little, it slipped into yeah, the the play. Like, is it... How is it then... Like, I guess talking with the audience is sort of connected with that. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to go for that. Yeah, well, and, and that too is... Uh, th- that's us experimenting with uh, I- intimacy. That's just a different kind of, of intimacy of mm. like, you know I'm Matt. I know you know I'm Matt. So instead of trying to avoid the fact that we both know I'm about to mm-hmm. pretend for an hour or yeah. two, you know, let's play around with that reality. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and Stan and I just particularly like to play around with things in a mischievous way. Mm. Uh, breaking like all the walls playful way yeah of, of yeah yeah building a wall and then breaking mm. it or breaking mm. it and then building it back up and so so yeah particularly with the apartment plays some of the plays I'll be out kind of as a bartender beforehand and some of the plays I won't because of the particular role I want to yeah, be obviously, flooded with light I was not yeah and flooded with light you were like De Niro intense <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or at least that was the like when you came out, you're like the beard, and I'm like, yeah. damn, someone's the deer hunter now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so depend depending on the play, there's a different there's a different uh, dynamic, but I would definitely say that the clown work has a really big effect on my relationship mm. with the audience and my work with the representatives because it. I used to think about acting as something that happened between me and the other actor, mm-hmm. but now no matter what I'm doing, acting is something that happens between me, you, and the audience. There's always this triangle of energy that's well, being yeah. passed. Yeah, that's like you know, and also I feel that too when I'm making a film. It's like I know when I'm sh- writing and shooting it, even when I'm editing it, it's still not totally complete. It really needs to have that fourth part of the yeah. audience, otherwise. What am I doing? And so, so then the the idea we so as you know, uh, yeah. we have a party after every single production, mm-hmm. whether it's an apartment play or an yeah. outside of the apartment play, and that to me is just an extension of this thing that we're talking about. Of of theater doesn't exist without an audience. So I've always hated like in the theater you do a show and then you know people kind of give you these like hollow congratulations and then you go home. But so these parties just kind of feel like an extension of the momentum that's created in the play. And it also gives a chance for for us to get immediate reflections from the audience of their experience and and the audience Mm -hmm. to uh, continue to engage in a dialogue that was started by the the play. Yeah. And you can even. Yeah. And I guess the idea, too, is now is to continue that through other media, through film. Correct. To maybe yeah. try to get that through the series and other... That, that's a great example. We, yeah, we were actually just meeting with different people um, as we're imagining distributing Betty Terror, and we're like, yeah, what is... Who are the reps on film or, or television, and, and how do we continue to have that relationship with the audience? One of the ways is uh, to the the 
internet television or film viewer, whoever, yeah. whenever they watch Betty Chair, you will be watching something that at times looks like people performing a play. So like you will see audience members at points and then at other points you will not see Yeah, them. well there were yeah, I mean cuz there were a couple of scenes when I saw it that were already shot and we were watching the TV yeah. at that point and so I wasn't sure I guess maybe you shot that at another time yep. before that. And and so, and so but, but that's very purposeful cuz we're trying to figure out just like we do with our live uh, plays like how how do we include the audience in a way that they are not normally included yeah, exactly. in cinematic work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like, before going into this conversation, I was like, so do I ask Matt about, does he want to take the representatives to Broadway? But now it's like, no, there's no <laughs> way. <laughs> I'm not asking that question. It's already been answered for me. I mean, if, if Broadway says, hey, we're looking for a live-taped <laughs> pilot episode of a true crime fantasia. We're not going exactly. to turn it down. I mean, mm. I mean, but this is, as the representatives grows, in all honesty, we would love for this to be our job. So, so we, are, we are working in different ways to find a way to make that happen. But, but still keeping the purity. If, it, if the representatives loses what made it special in the first place, it would defeat the purpose. So... The representative selling Nikes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're 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 trying, we're experimenting with a very ambitious task of we want to do our art in the way we want to do it, when we want to do it, and we want it to be our job. Right on. And so right on, man. Yeah. Yeah, and of course now, and like I said, directing is going to be an extension of that for yeah. you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Um, so I don't know if uh, yeah I don't know if I have much else to add. I think uh, we've covered a lot of stuff here. And uh, come, come see our next apartment play. The uh, yeah. you can get on the so everything right now it's still invite only. Um, but you can check out videos um, if you go to thereperesentatives.org. Yep. You can actually see some of the examples of the past plays. Uh, for my count, I think that uh, one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, you've done like twelve of these. Yeah. So you have you you've had a legacy, right? We now. do about like yeah, th three or four projects, three or four full projects a year, and we're in the middle of our fourth year. So. Mhm. Mm and I think there might be some videos here and there on Vimeo that you can find. Yeah, I think there's sort a of couple interviews and stuff like yeah. that, and uh, and also like I said, you know, Matt. The other thing I should mention too, because it, it almost can be taken for granted that Matt again is. Also part of the Losers pilot, which uh, hopefully which we're trying to get out there as well. see and support as well is really, really awesome. Yeah, there are lots of cons coming up. You can actually check that out on Facebook.com slash Losers TV pilot. Um, and, uh, and actually, like I said, there's a screening coming up in New York. And the interesting thing with that I wanted to mention, too, it's, the, it's this place called the Catra Lounge. And uh, I found out about it. I forget how, but I... I screened one of my shorts, and then they let me somehow screen Green Eyes there. Oh, and So cool. I had one of my official screenings there, and oh, that was cool, really cool. great. And that's a that's a pretty cool place because you get uh, a little kid outside. Um, <laughs> you get a little kid with every uh, <laughs> with every ticket. <laughs> um, yes, a little kid. No, um, it's it's a, it's like in the basement area, and it's a bar, but they have all these screens, and it's it's actually and it's yet yeah, it's. Because we had this screening also at that place, Nevada Smiths. Right. But this place is 
the sound is much better. The uh, they have a bar, but they the bar doesn't really do much when the screening is happening. So uh, yeah, if you can check us out there, we're doing it May 9th. and yeah, I'll be uh, there. Come and, party, and Matt will come by. Come He'll, hang with us. Yes, he's and uh, as his line in Losers says, uh, he's a hugger too. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am actually. And uh, I think we're good, man. I think uh, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on the Wages of Cinema today. Thanks for having me, Jack. And uh, just remember, the Wages of Cinema is death. Good night. That's our that's our tagline. <laughs> The Arabic word for a mound built over the ruins of an ancient city is Tel. It's symbolic of the accumulated civilizations buried beneath us, like Tel Aviv. Aviv is the Hebrew word for spring. They took an Arabic word, tacked on a Hebrew word, and then kicked out the Palestinians. Who reacted really fucking maturely about it and... No, because you're asking whoever, I mean let's just say your ex, to come and sit there and just listen to you go through your list. <laughs> I fucked your best friend. I fucked your cousin. Oh, and I fucked three people in our bed while you were unconscious. And I lied to you about drugging you. I... This is a hypothetical, by the way. <laughs> he should hear it, even if it's uncomfortable. You're not forcing him to respond. But making amends literally means releasing someone else from fault, not making them release you. All these programs, they twist the language and... Look, self-forgiveness is the hardest thing to do. So if AA can help you let go of things yourself so you can help others, well... It's still selfish. You're still not thinking about the other person's release. You're thinking about your own. Sounds like that was the problem to begin with. One school bus goes off a cliff or all of Shakespeare's plays disappear forever. If I have them memorized, can I... How many children? This reminds me of college. <laughs>